Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. It's Monday, August 15th. I'm really excited today to talk to Scott Pianowski because, Scott, we have some real football games on this weekend. I know you had an awesome time up at the Fantasy Expo. Um, bummed I couldn't make it this year. One of these years, I got to get out there. But, Scott, how you doing, man? Yeah, great. Um, it was really fun to hang out with Andy Barron's, Jason Kabaka, our, uh, our editor, and, and see so many people in the industry. I had a, a lot of fun. I was on a salary cap draft panel Uh headlined by Drew Davenport today uh, so as we're taping on Sunday, which was a lot of fun. Just a great chance to rekindle old friendships and to make new ones and just to see every year the fantasy space, um, the industry gets smarter, it gets larger, it gets more diverse. And, um, you know, those are all good things. And of course, all during the weekend, they're playing football games. And I know maybe what 80 or 90% of it probably doesn't hold fantasy relevance, but that means maybe 10% of it does. I'm excited that maybe the Texans have a running back. We can get, a, you know, we can draft uh, with some confidence. Um, I'm going to adjust my rankings um, significantly in the next four, 24 to 48 hours. So I know a lot of what, what you see doesn't apply. And, and you know, look, we don't want to make silly reactions to things, to, to fake football games that teams are not really trying to win. Maybe the Ravens try to win their preseason games. I'm not sure anybody <laughs> else does, but I don't know about you, Matt. It's just good for the soul just to see, you yeah. know, to see the NFL actually playing a game, whether or not it counts. Um, and, and everybody in action, I realize you know, we're in the second week of preseason action, but you know, everybody was in play over the last few days. And I think that's just good for the soul. Definitely good for the soul. One of the most exciting parts about this time of year for me, especially because I do a lot of work on like the college receivers and stuff like that, is seeing these guys. Those, this is their first look in real NFL action. You know, you see them in their uniforms, and some of these guys even. We're going to talk about George Pickens later, but you know, there's a couple of plays that he made. Uh, this one block that's gone viral or whatever. Too, I'm like, yeah, you, he did the exact same thing in Georgia, and now he's doing it in the NFL in a Steelers uniform. And I find that cool. And typically with preseason, I, I, before we jump into the Scott, I think it's kind of worth talking about. Like, you don't want to just like you said, overreact to a fake football game or like just because George Pickens had an awesome preseason, Damian Pierce had an awesome preseason, something like that, you know, doesn't 
mean they're going to be all stars or anything like that, but you're trying to pick up signal. Um, you know, I think that it's part of the drumbeat thing too. You want it to be an extension of something that was going on in training camp. And for a lot of these guys, we'll try to mesh all of our analysis in with not with the preseason. So I think there's a right and a wrong way to react to preseason games. Wins and losses certainly doesn't matter at all, but sometimes seeing these guys and how they're going to play, how they're going to be deployed really sort of start to starts to fill in the gaps for me. For sure. That's well said. And you know, it goes back to with NFL coaches and NFL organizations, we ultimately have to put more stock in what they do rather than what they say. And when they actually put a team on, on the field in preseason, we get a sense of you know who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos, who's running with the threes. Sometimes a player will gain a little bit of fantasy cred because he didn't play, because that means that maybe you know the player is important enough that they're holding him out. Every, every team in the NFL is secretive and they're trying to hold their, their cards close to the vest and not give anything away. But when you actually go through the motions of a football game and you have to put personnel groupings together and you have to call plays and everything, they're revealing part of how they feel about their personnel. And so we have to try to decipher what's signal, what's noise. That's part of the challenge. That's why we play. And again, you know, go by more by what these coaches do. And, and decisions they make versus you know, all the all the happy happy stuff that they tell us on media day, which doesn't mean anything a lot of the time. One hundred percent true, but yeah. So what we're gonna do is today we're gonna break into the things that we liked and the things that we didn't like from the first weekend of the preseason. Uh, but also later on in the show we're gonna preview the AFC champions and a very like a really fun fantasy team in the Cincinnati Bengals that is sort of kind of straightforward. But so many of their players are gonna be drafted high, so they're an important team to to get right this year. But let's start off with the news. Who man, Zach Wilson. Um, I had my buddy franchise over and and his wife from from the NFL Network days. Uh, they came over to the house on Friday, and uh, you know. I'm starting to look at my phone just as I'm getting ready to serve dinner. And it's the, all these like nightmare looking, you know, reactions for Zach Wilson looked like he really on a non-contact um, play had had torn his ACL. You know, they were, of course, the Twitter doctors were out, man, looking, you know, trying to diagnose it off the video. Uh, turns out he has a bone bruise, which is um, <laughs> interesting. And and maybe, a, a, I mean, listen, you don't want to have a bone bruise, but. It seems like he avoided the potential worst case scenario there. But right now, there's no timetable for his return. He's having knee surgery on Tuesday out in California. I don't know, Scott. Like, I, he's probably highly questionable for week one with is Zach Wilson. And you've said this several times. Like, we're drafting Jets. You know, we're interested in this team in fantasy. So we kind of need Zach Wilson to play well this year. And I don't love him getting off to a start uh, in which he's going to be hurt. For sure. I mean, the, the quarterback is a connective tissue to every other piece of any offense. So even if you're in a standard start one quarterback league and Zach Wilson was somebody you were never were going to draft, you probably had interest in Brees Hall. You probably had interest in Elijah Moore. You, you may have had interest in Corey Davis or, or Garrett Wilson, maybe Michael Carter, who you would think would be the second running back. So yeah, all those things depend on quality play at quarterback. And you know Zach Wilson is He's one of these several sophomore quarterbacks who had a, a bad rookie year for several reasons. To some degree, it's an excused absence. And he's somebody who I wanted to see something positive this preseason. Instead, he gets hurt right away. So it wipes out the rest of the month for him. You know, maybe we're going to be looking at Joe Flacco. You know, I don't know. Maybe Mike White gets on the field, who actually was yeah. wasn't that bad last year. But you know, what Flacco was, he's 37 now. I mean, he Crazy. he's not somebody the Jets want to play. This is the the unfortunate nature of preseason. And, you know, we, we know Matt in the last 
five, 10, 15 years, teams have pulled back more and more about putting their primary guys on the field. And the more important you are to a team, usually the less you play because they don't want guys to get hurt. But with the case of Wilson, just because rookie year was such a washout, they need him to get reps. They need him to get game reps. And I thought the preseason was very important for him. And I, mean, I, I hate to be reactionary about this, but I don't know. I don't know how you can like Elijah Moore, Brees Hall. I think you have to like them a little bit less with this quarterback situation unsettled. Now, granted, there was no guarantee that Zach Wilson was going to play well. I mean, maybe right. he would have had a healthy preseason and then had a poor season, and then he he could tank you know some of the fantasy values here. But it's just frustrating that the Jets. I was hoping to look at the Jets as a team on the upswing, and when they're presumed franchise quarterback gets hurt in the first preseason game. I feel like you have to pump the brakes on everybody else tied to this offense. And that it doesn't make me feel good, man. The damn jets, like they can't get out of August with um, every year. It seems like they have at least one catastrophic injury in, in training camp preseason last year was Carl Lawson. You know, this year, obviously they lose Makai Beckton already. Um, yeah. It's, it's not starting on the right type of momentum that you'd want if you're uh, in on the Jets this year. I mean, the good news for Elijah Moore is he did play nine of nine snaps with Zach Wilson. Corey Davis played eight. Braxton Berrios was the slot receiver in three receiver sets, and, and he played six, and rookie Garrett Wilson only played one. It's the first preseason game, but like you said, who guys are playing with, what team they're playing with, first, second, third team, does matter a lot, especially for these rookies, and it looks like Elijah Moore is clearly cemented as the number one receiver. Uh, I had it. Yeah, buddy Scott, it, it's fantasy season, right? Like you're at the expo, you're doing sal the salary cap panel. I had a draft today for one of my teams. I'm actually going to manage all year, like a you know not a slow draft either. And I I still I had that thought in the back of my head, like all right, Zach Wilson, you know how much does this how much does this change the the trajectory for Elijah Moore? And I sat there in the sixth round, and I still took Elijah Moore where I probably would have taken him before as like the thirtieth wide receiver off the board and and the fifth wide receiver for me in a start at least three wide receiver PPR league where I want to be pretty wide receiver heavy. So I don't know for me, it didn't move me a ton. Um, I have some faith that Flacco can give them like a, you know, competent level, but they also, the other thing to remember here is that like the jets could, if Zach Wilson has this knee surgery and they comes back like, Ooh, it's, it's a little worse than we expected. They do have a lot of history with Jimmy G, this coaching staff. So this might be, you know, this is what we talked about all off season was, Hey, the 49ers might wait it out for a quarterback injury. Well, you know, between this and obviously Deshaun Watson's likely absence, these two teams could end up being in, you know, somebody could actually end up in a bidding war for Jimmy G and the Niners might finally, their their long bet might pay off at least somewhat. No, it's a perfectly reasonable take. And to get back to Elijah Moore, the pro side would be, well, it's not like his target expectancy has gone down. And it's not like we know that the non-Zach Wilson quarterback play is going to be any worse than what Zach Wilson was going to do. Zach Wilson was a large unknown, and there was certainly a range of outcomes where he is a below-average quarterback. Maybe the handoff to Flacco or the handoff to a veteran they bring in or if, if White ends up playing whatever, maybe, maybe that's a lateral move. Maybe the team is even a little bit better in that situation. I mean, you know, look, Flacco doesn't have the athletic ability he used to have, but he's seen every blitz. He's seen every defense. He has that experience, so that makes up for some of that. So I guess I can see the case of if you liked Elijah Moore five days ago or three days ago, you, maybe you're not moving him. The The situation I'm nervous about is I want to draft into Brees Hall proactively yeah. and for a running back. And I know he has a, a skill set where he could play in all in all packages, but I still want running backs on winning teams. And I wanted to talk myself into the Jets maybe being not so much a winning team, but more of a competitive team, right? A seven and 10 team, an eight and nine team, a team that could 
not not get their doors blown off, not have games where Brees Hall only touches it seven times because they're behind 24, nothing at the half or something like that. And and I wanted, I guess I wanted to believe, maybe I hang out too much with Mike Salfino. I wanted to believe that maybe Zach Wilson could take a step forward in the second year. And he still could. I mean, you know, we'll see how quickly he gets back and how quickly he can establish chemistry with what's still a, a very young receiver. You know, his two best receivers might be a first year and a second year guy. I mean, so there's a, just, I just I hate the fact that Zach Wilson's going to miss all these reps when uh, a young, a young offense, right. They're presumed starting back as a rookie. They're presumed best receivers, a second year guy. They drafted a first round receiver. They're expecting to play a lot right away. Even Corey Davis has only been on the team for into his second year. So this, these are guys who need to know each other and, and, and get, familiarity and all that stuff. And I just hate to see that put on the back burner for now. Yeah. To your point about Joe Flacco, uh, Elijah Moore actually had probably, had probably had his best game last year with Joe Flacco. He just one start eight catches, 141 yards and a touchdown. But to your point too, in a losing effort. So I actually, yeah, the more I think about it, the more, and, and Brees Hall was actually in the things you hate to see from the preseason because he and um, Michael Carter pretty much split reps uh, with the first team offense. And I have been, like sort of, I guess, to use your terminology, yellow light on Brees Hall offseason. But Michael Carter's been a pretty big green light pick for me where he goes, because I do think that we know he's going to have some standalone value. But he does, of course, have a big high a, a ceiling if uh, if Brees Hall gets hurt or misses time or something like that. So, um, yeah, I agree with you that actually that running back rotation might be the one that um, is sneakily more impacted by this potential absence for Zach Wilson. Do you, do you know off the top of your head who did the Jets play in week one? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can look it up, but I don't. I don't know. I'm thinking that's a defense. That, that's a defense I might want to jump on. I'm it's the Ravens. Right so oh, it's a Joe Flacco revenge yeah. game, Scott. Oh, the Joe Flacco <laughs> revenge game. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, oh, I, I can yeah. see the final score now. You know, um, Flacco throws late touchdown. Ravens 30, Jets 10. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right as the Ravens are kind of trying to remake their defense there. But all right, let's move on here. Drake London, another injury from the preseason. Doesn't seem like this is super serious with Drake London, but um, he's probably done playing for the, the rest of the preseason. Drake London looked pretty good and very limited, very, very limited looks. But um, yeah, where were, you, where were you at with Drake London before this and where are you at now? Yeah, probably a little bit below consensus. Um, the, the guy I, I really wanted to draft into this offense was Kyle Pitts. To some extent, Tyler Algier. I wonder if this team, what would it take for the Falcons to admit that maybe Cordero Patterson's better as a receiver who runs the ball once in a while than being a, a traditional running back. I think they could actually use him a lot more as somebody. I, I didn't think he was a great running back anyway, when they kind yeah. of switched his position in the second half of the year, or maybe it was the final third of the year, whatever that was. I'd like to see him going back to kind of a, a hybrid player. I, and, you know, if London gets off the mark slowly, they may need it. I mean, look at this depth chart, you know, Brian Edwards, uh, Alamides, Zacchaeus. I mean, uh, it's a good thing Kyle Pitts really is. He's not talk about hybrids, right? I mean, he's really a, a jumbo wide receiver. And when the second contract comes up, I'm sure they're going to argue about that. But London was a guy because I don't feel great about their quarterbacks. And I, and I, I know that the, they had some moments and they have mobile quarterbacks now. And maybe that's something that Arthur Smith wanted all along. Yeah, these know, guys Matt look Ryan. good. They look good this weekend. They did. I, I will say that Ritter, Ritter played well and like Mariota. He, lo- he still looks fast, man. Like he looks like he can still scoot, which is going to help the offense move because of the mobility, at least. But so I don't know. They it, it's preseason, like we said, but they did look good this week. I, I guess when I look at the Falcons, it's like I'm willing to take Pitts, although I feel like Pitts is still kind of a trendy player, so I haven't gotten much Pitts so far. But I'm open to Pitts, 
and I Algier is somebody I'm going to be overweight on. Patterson's going to be somebody I'm going to be under underweight on. Just because rookie receivers can make an impact right away doesn't mean they all have to. And because London's going to have a this gap, this this little you know uh, bump in the road towards his development, I, I to me it makes him just about undraftable. You're going to have to do this with a lot of guys, you know, during the course of the season, you know, sort of start to explain away why things are not going the way you thought, you know, why this guy's how many leaps of faith does it take until you kind of admit defeat on a on a player or, or an evaluation of a situation, something like that for fantasy. But you hate to start doing it already, like from the jump, like we're one preseason game in and we're already sitting here with Elijah Moore because of Zach Wilson's injury and Drake London now like, all right, well, it should be fine. So, and again, it could be fine. But again, you're starting that process earlier than you'd really want to. Um, another guy that is injured currently out for the rest of the preseason is Elijah Mitchell, a hamstring injury. Just wanted to take your temperature on Mitchell um, because the big concern other than like you know being spooked about a potential committee is that Elijah Moore smaller player consistently banged up in his rookie year you know he's a sort of the start of the running back dead zone seemingly this year is Elijah Mitchell and the guys behind him look I, I hate to say it to the people out there but Trey Sermon looks like he might have the inside track for the RB2 job now I say that when it looked like Trey Sermon had the RB2 job kind of locked up right up until week one last year. So things can change, but he's not a rookie this year. I took him in the 15th round, like one of my final picks of this draft I just did earlier today, because listen, if Mitchell's banged up and Sermon is the guy, now Jeff Wilson didn't play this week for a personal reason, but Sermon seems like he's clearly ahead of Ty Davis Price, the rookie right now. That can change, of course, but just worth mentioning his name uh, because I know he burned a lot of people, especially a lot of people that listen to me on this podcast. Yeah, I actually, um, at the Expo on Saturday, Sermon was one of my late picks in the 14-team snake draft, maybe maybe a 15th round pick. Just Again, just kind of a, a what the heck, no no leash at all. He could be one of my first cuts if, if oh, things yeah. don't develop quickly. But I, I, I hate to say this because I like Elijah Mitchell, but this just makes him just about undraftable for me too, and to, unless a really significant discount applies because we know the San Francisco – Depth chart is always going to be stocked with very interesting running backs. And as you said, you know, Sermon's having a bounce back camp. Wilson's going to have some role. Davis Price is there. You know, I mean, he's he could eventually percolate into something significant. And they, they're starting a quarterback who's going to have a healthy share of rushing production, too. It's it's arguably his best skill right now is being able to run the ball, though. I know he had a couple of good passes on, on the weekend, but uh, Trey Lance. So Mitchell is... It, it, it's such a shame, too, because he was such a fun player last year. You know, he comes out of nowhere, he takes the job. And it was really, I think, easy to to figure out that he had staying power. I, I think by the end of September, we knew, maybe even by the end of like just a couple of games, we knew that this was not a flash in the pan, that he was probably going to lead the team in rushing. And he was valuable all year. And I, I hate to talk these guys down, but, you know, a lot of times people talk about, you know, there's been a, a huge debate this year and every summer and on Twitter, can we predict injuries and who who's injury prone and who isn't? And I'm not sure we're really good at that. I think there's certain things we should consider, you know, career arc and all that. But for large, large, uh, a large degree of who gets hurt is going to be random. But what is not random is who's already hurt. And that's where injury optimism, I, I, I implore people when, uh, and not necessarily in the case of Mitchell, but like if somebody gets hurt and they say, okay, three to six weeks, I want you to hear that as six weeks. I know everybody says they're coming back soon and they're superheroes and, you know, they rehab quickly and all that stuff. But 
Um, this situation's murky now that I would not want to draft Mitchell as one of my top three running backs. He'd have to be the fourth running back in my fantasy jet chart before I could even stomach it. And with that, who's to say that he's not just one missed assignment, one fumble, one poor game, Wilson pops, Sermon pops, Davis Price pops, and, and then all of a sudden Kyle Shanahan shuffling the deck and not telling us anything until game day. So uh, Elijah Mitchell, a guy who I had a lot of fun with last year, I mean, he's, he's going to move way down my board, and I, I think he's going to be very difficult for me to draft the rest of the summer. Yeah, it's like bu- trying to, oh my God, trying to buy a house out here in L.A., which I'll never do in no thanks, but <laughs> it's like trying to buy a house out here in LA and like looking at the real estate price, and be like, oh, one million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, no, that's that's one point eight mil. Like, you better round that thing up. Same thing with injuries. Like, you always want to do that. So, um, I agree. Good take there. That's this is definitely the time of year where injury optimism can really get you in trouble. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of risks in Mitchell's profile generally, and this just adds to it. And like I said, starts the excuses and leaps of faith clock right now and this is really not the time you want to start it all right let's talk about some other things we noted from the preseason sticking on the 49ers you brought him up trey lance trey lance fun man four or five uh passes for 92 yards and a touchdown we know the athleticism is there the passing reports out of training camp have been streaky i just read another one today from david lombardi who said you know he's it's scattershot with Trey Lance and the accuracy and stuff like that. You know, we get those reports back quarterbacks sometimes and they end up being fine. Um, I don't think anybody that's been an observer of training camp with Trey Lance would sit there and tell you, Hey, it's been all good all the time. And I don't think that anybody out there would be like, Hey, this is a disaster that the, the 49ers are really worried about this, but you see the upside with Trey Lance. Like he uncorks that long pass. And I'm just thinking, man, Brandon Ayuka on the other end of that, that's going to look pretty good. That's something that like we didn't see with this offense previously. Um, so Trey Lance, I think it was nice to see him out there in a game, you know, and actually complete, like I said, complete four or five passes um, because sometimes you read things in the off season and you get really panicked about his uh, potential accuracy, but I'm not personally that worried about it. I'm not either. And I also think the way the Niners handled him was reasonable because he hardly played that final year in college. So I, yeah. I think they probably knew last year and Lance came into the league at really young age. Look, we have an incumbent Garoppolo. He's perfectly fine. We can be an NFC contender. They were just a couple of plays away from going to the Super Bowl with basically Garoppolo, the quarterback the whole season. Let Lance come in, you know, find out what NFL life is about, get his feet wet a little bit, but mostly learn. And we're spoiled because now teams, they, they get the rookie quarterback. They want the guy to play right away. Remember, this is what Patrick Mahomes did, right? I mean, he, he just sat and, and learned behind Alex Smith, who was a good player. I mean, probably a little bit better, I think, than Jimmy Garoppolo. But you're in that same realm where you know, Alex Smith was never going to be MVP of the league or anything, but he was a capable starter. Uh, Mahomes learned under him, plays that final game against Denver, looks great. And then the next year, he you know he goes ballistic. I'm not certainly not suggesting that the Trey Lance is going to have the Patrick Mahomes year two season, but I think the Niners probably, again, they're not going to tell us this stuff, but I think they probably thought, unless Lance just went ballistic last summer, that he this was going to be a redshirt year for him. The idea was that he would take the job. He would take the baton in year two. And I'm excited. We've talked a lot about as much as we like uh, Debo, as much as one of our favorite players, George Kittle's under that heading too. They're really hard for me to draft. I have drafted into Ayuk proactively. And because Lance is going to be such a dual threat, you can certainly project him for a decent amount of rushing yardage. He's one of those guys, if you're a weight on quarterback person, or if you just want to draft that second quarterback, who's got upside, he may go outside the top 10 or top 12 in a lot of leagues at the position. He's got, you can tell yourself a plausible story where he might be a top five, top six quarterback, just because of how athletic he is and how dynamic they can be designing. I mean, last year they made a, a, re- a receiver 
into the most valuable receiver runner in, in NFL history, right? And Debo Samuel did put up numbers we'd never seen before. And that's all in the design of this offense. Now we have a quarterback who can run the ball. It's uh, wheels up for Trey Lance. 100%, man. I, and, and there's a range of outcomes where he's just a really good quarterback this year and, and an upgrade stylistically because of what Jimmy Garoppolo was and what Trey Lance is. So I think you do got to draft him aggressively, and it's a good thing to see him out there in preseason just kind of making it happen. Takeaway for me here, Isaiah McKenzie is the Bills slot receiver. Like, I think it's time to call this battle between him and Jamison Crowder, which Crowder might still make the team, might just be decent depth for them, but he's running with the backups, and Isaiah McKenzie – you know, he got a bit of a head start because Crowder was hurt earlier in training camp. But McKenzie's a guy they brought back on a pretty decent deal. He's a guy that showed well for them to end last year. And I, I just think he's a great late round pick right now is like is Isaiah McKenzie. Um, I want to keep scooting him up my ranks. I did it heading into this week. And now I want to do it again <laughs> because I think he's a guy you should want to draft. Uh, you know, Gabe Davis the ceiling is all the way kind of priced in with Gabe Davis where he goes in drafts. It's not with Isaiah McKenzie. And like Scott, I think it's totally plausible that McKenzie, he's not going to, I'm not going to say he's going to outproduce Davis in fantasy, but there's a chance he could catch more passes. There's a chance that his target total might be right there with Gabe Davis behind Stefan Diggs because that slot receiver role and the juice that he brings to it, probably more so than a guy like Cole Beasley's brought to it the last couple of years. Yeah, I love the way you frame that. I mean, look, we, we like to get invested in the best offenses in football. Buffalo is going to be right near the top of that, but it can be difficult because Josh Allen's the first quarterback off the board in any league. And obviously you, you need an early pick for Stephon Diggs. Gabriel Davis, as you said, his breakout season is largely priced into his ADP. The most inexpensive way to get into this offense is Isaiah McKenzie. And oh, yeah. although it it isn't, you know, the, the Bills haven't come out and, and thrown a parade and, and given him the, the keys to the you know e executive washroom or anything, but you can read between the lines. He's he's their slot guy. Crowder's at an age where Crowder's had a nice career and been underrated oh, yeah. most of it. But um this is McKenzie's gig, and this is the easiest way to get exposure to a really good offense. Now, now look, let's be realistic. He's not going to be better than Diggs. He's probably not going to be better than Davis, but there is Certainly a great best ball pick, but I think McKenzie in leagues that start three receivers in a flex, he may be somebody who ends up being a player that you can you can proactively start in the middle of the season because he's, again, tied to a really good offense and he's going to have a role. It's going to be a little gadgety. He's not built to have you know, 115, 120 targets. But again, this is the cheapest way you can get access or exposure to the Buffalo offense. I'm, I think it's a great take by you and I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, he's somebody I want to get a reception perception up for um, just because I'm really, really intrigued with the skill set. So hopefully I can get that done here in the next week or so. Let's run through some rookies because, like I said, this is my favorite part about preseason is seeing the rookies, not just where they stand like Garrett Wilson, clearly way, way behind Elijah Moore in the wide receiver rotation of the Jets. But sometimes just to see how these guys look, it's our first NFL action and, and you know, there's a few guys that like the folks are already ready to make the Canton bus for because of what they did in preseason. Maybe this first one, not so much. Damian Pierce rushed five times for 48 yards. Now he was working exclusively with the second team, but I bet he gets more first team looks going forward. He was a day three rookie. He's got some juice. Um, I think folks that follow the Florida Gators program are like still rolling their eyes that uh, he didn't get more work as a collegiate player. I also saw, uh, you know, legendary Texas beat writer, John McClain. It was either earlier today or later yesterday. He basically said like, if they don't have Damian Pierce out there as a starting running back in week one, they're not fielding their best team are the Houston Texans. And so the, the pop is growing for Damian Pierce. And this is certainly a wide open depth chart uh, for the Houston Texans. 
yeah, he, he's a perfect, once you start stocking your bench where you want to tell yourself a plausible upside story and he popped Pierce popped in on the preseason tape. He came in, you know, as you said, he was you know, curiously underused in college, but there can be a lot of explanations for that. We're asking him to beat out Marilyn Mack and, and Rex Burkhead, which doesn't seem like that tall of an order. And, and as, as I've said all summer, Davis Mills, I think is competent. I think Davis Mills is a decent player. It It's, made it very easy for me to draft into Brandon Cooks. It's made it very easy for me to draft into Nico Collins. He's going to be a player who's a big part of my portfolio in oh, both yeah. of the drafts at uh, at the Expo. I ended up with Nico Collins. And with Dave, here's the thing with Damian Pierce. He's got his upside. He he potent, His ceiling is maybe he gets the starting gig really early and has like a thousand yard season or something like that. That's just never going to happen for Rex Burkhead. There's no possible way for that. I don't think to happen for Marlon Mack either, but it could happen for Damian Pierce. And that's what you're trying to do with your bench. You're trying, you're trying to locate upside. And you know, if, if the tea leaves are going the wrong direction in September, you know, maybe he ends up being one of your cuts, but he's somebody I would love. And, and, you know, I had a chance to draft him this weekend. I, I think I waited one round too, too long and I didn't get him, and I ended up kind of kicking myself, but, and maybe it's okay. I didn't get him because, you know, having Pearson Collins on the same roster might not make a lot of sense. You don't want to have too many Texans, but I think this offense actually might be oddly fun. And, and you know, the, the joke is, you know, well, if they don't play Pierce, they're not trying. Well, you know, it, the way Houston's mm. made decisions the last few years, <laughs> you can argue if they've been yeah. trying anyway, I've been done a lot of really strange things, but I, th- I think Mills is going to be competent. I think this offense is going to put two or three guys we can start week in, week out on the field for us. I even think Brevin Jordan, their tight end, is interesting. So, yeah, D- Damian Pierce is one of my favorites. I don't think I'm alone on this take. It sounds like you and I probably agree, and I'm yeah. sure a lot of industry people are going to be there too. But when you're starting to find those plausible upside backs for the second half of your roster, Damian Pierce is, is somebody to have a little dot next to. Yeah, the guys that are outside the top 40 backs in, in ADP, like he's probably the one who has – the best chance of being a week one starter and holding that job down for the long term. I bet he does end up outproducing Marlon Mack for sure. Here's the thing though about Rex Burkhead. He didn't play in this preseason game and I still have this like weird feeling he's going to have 500 rushing yards and like 500 receiving yards as Rex Burkhead because um, he like got a pretty decent role for this team last year and he just is you know, he's an old Patriots guy. This is, you know, Patriots uh, South there with uh, the Houston Texans. So I don't know. Like I said, there's just a part of me that he feels like he's going to, you know, at least play the third downs, like the hurry up. He's there, J.D. McKissick, basically. But I am green lighting. Damian Pierce is certainly a guy that you want to take. Uh, as For sure. And, and, and I love that. I love that Pierce identified himself. I I want the, the buzzy rookies to you don't have to like go in the program, try to figure out who they were when you saw somebody who you, you didn't know the number right away. You knew that must be Pierce. That must be the guy we've been waiting for. You know, I just love that he announced his presence immediately with the way he ran the ball on, uh, on the weekend. Well, one guy who definitely um, announced his presence and you don't have to go far to find people that are excited about George Pickens caught three of five targets for 43 yards and a touchdown. And um, like I said, he, just like you, you can find the clips of him doing this in college, like got up to block some guy on a run play and just like threw it, pushed him to the ground, you know, hyper aggression. He plays that way. His touchdown catch was awesome. I mean, Pickens is a good, good football player. Uh, third in reception perception success rate versus press coverage last year. He's just a great like ex receiver prospect fell in the draft. Cause he was injured fell in the draft. Cause some people didn't like the way he interviewed, you know, he's, 
I always say we're not everybody's not for everybody. You know, I'm sure there are folks that are not going to like the way George Pickens is, but God, he's a fun football player to watch. And um, he's another guy that I feel like I don't totally know how the Steelers offense is going to be this year. I mean, I don't love that Mason Rudolph is still so mentioned in this quarterback debate because the other two guys haven't distanced themselves from him. But it looks like George Pickens is going to have a big role. I kind of want to keep bumping up the rankings and I kind of think he's going to play over Chase Claypool in two receiver sets. It's possible. Yeah. And just to cloud things, I mean, Deontay Johnson's got a hip that they're soft pedaling him right now. Claypool's got a shoulder injury. So he wasn't available on the weekend. Again, Pickens is, is it, you love Pickens that he immediately identifies himself. Right. I mean, now if you watch any college at all, we, we know as the college game gets down to fewer and fewer teams of consequence. I mean, Pickens played for Georgia, you know, one of the four or five teams that has a great chance to win the championship every year. They did win it last year. So even if you're a casual college fan or you just watch like the major bowl games, you, you should be somewhat familiar with them. But I mean, Pittsburgh, they've had such a great track record of finding talented receivers outside the first round. And sometimes they've taken players, prospects that other teams had soured on for different reasons. They've asked themselves what could go right when other teams are maybe have cold feet on it. And I think that matters, you know, that they've had this track record. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I, I, it makes me nervous that Pickett's wearing, I saw a couple of Pickett jerseys at the hall of fame and I I made a joke to somebody. I said, Oh, I thought Tommy Maddox's number was retired. I didn't realize they'd give him number eight. And the guy said to me, he goes, you're the second person who said that to me. And my joke wasn't even original. You know, the the Tommy Maddox (laughs) joke is being made, you know, the the Steeler guy had had enough of it. He kind of laid me off. Good, good naturedly. So, I mean, the Steeler, the Steeler mafia, good people, but um, I don't, are you rooting for somebody in this quarterback battle? Do you, who do you think the offense just for this year would be best suited to have because I see all this receiver talent. I want to draft it to some of these guys. I certainly would, you know, Pickens, it's, it's, it's kind of a cheap reco, but I'd love to have him in any kind of a dynasty format. I think I missed out on him in the, the last time I did a dynasty draft, but what quarterback would be best served for the skill talent here? Cause the Steelers certainly have plenty of it. Oh God, Scott's a great question. You know, talk about, mercurial training camp reports and you know scattershot accuracy you can find those on Mr. Trubisky this year and and Kenny Pickett's the third string guy like he's not even pushing to be the backup quarterback that's very Jordan Love-esque right like that was a thing when they took Jordan Love and you know, pissed off Aaron Rodgers to two MVPs that first year that Love was there he wasn't even the backup like they had to keep a guy ahead I can't remember the guy's name right now but they had to keep a guy ahead of him uh it just because Jordan Love wasn't even ready to be the backup like I think in an ideal world, we know what Mitch Trubisky is, and I kind of think he can keep the ship afloat a little bit. So he's probably the right answer. But man, Scott, like the first few games for the Steelers are rough. They've got a rough schedule to start this year. There's almost no way I think Trubisky plays well enough against a brutal uh, slate of teams in the, in the start of the season to keep the job all year. So I don't know. I think... I think you want it to be Trubisky and you want him to be good because I just don't know that Pickett seems like he's ready, which is crazy because that was kind of the thesis of the Kenny Pickett evaluation was he was pro ready. He's 24 years old. He's right down the street or whatever. Who cares about that? But still, I don't know. Not 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 a good start for Pickett. Yeah, I, I guess I can squint or I can kind of crane myself into believing Trubisky for a moment where I just have such bad history with Mason Rudolph. I'm just afraid that yeah, Mason no, Rudolph I'm, shouldn't be I'm an out. NFL starter. So maybe – Maybe the idea with Trubisky is he can be a single or maybe he could be a double. And the idea that maybe Pickett ends up having that year like Trey Lance had last year where, you know, or what Jordan Love's had most of his career where it's like, okay, look, don't worry about 
about playing right now. Just worry about you're just trying to learn what it's like to be a pro and what will get you up to speed with how the offense works. And, you know, we'll look towards maybe making you a starter next year. Yeah. I, and I, I do want to be fair to Kenny Pickett. Like he played pretty well this this week, this weekend. I, I thought he looked good and he's got some juice as an athlete. So the right answer is probably Kenny Pickett stacks two or three more good um, weeks here in it seems like it's got to happen more in practice too but also in preseason and he's just the starter outright I think that's the ideal scenario I just I need to see a little bit more before I'm willing to get there but that's kind of where I'm at with Pickett and yeah George Pickens man he's good I, he's gonna be a good player that I'm that I'm very confident about but I was confident about it before this preseason but it's just again stacking it on top of each other Scott and I will talk about more things we love to see and then transition to the negative uh, in our preseason review here right when we come back from this break Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, let's talk some Chiefs rotations here. Look, Isaiah Pacheco started putting this thing on paper, right? The, the practice reports have been there. He ran out a little bit with the starters behind CEH. And Jarek McKinnon really looks like he's not going to be super involved in this rotation but he's going to be more of a backup and like situational player maybe run out on special teams a little bit and Ronald Jones like he's he's not making this roster he's he's going to probably either get cut or trade and he'll be somewhere this year but that remains to be seen and then in the receiving standpoint Juju plays 100% of the first team snaps with Patrick Mahomes he looks like the clear one uh, MVS looks like the clear two nine of 11 snaps uh, with the first team offense but I've said that I mostly think MBS is going to be thrown out there as the X receiver and just dictate coverages while this offense flows through some of these other guys. So I'm still not really drafting into MBS, but I'm definitely aggressively drafting into Juju and I'm really in on, you know, keeping track of Pacheco as well. Well, well set up there. Uh, MBS is going to be one of those guys like the end of Deshaun Jackson's career where he's more important to the team for the clear out routes, but you're just yeah. not going to get a lot of fantasy juice from it. And I, I get it. Every once in a while, they'll throw him a deep ball and he'll catch it but you'll never be able to project that ahead of time. He'll just be really difficult to play in a managed league. I'm green light on Juju. I think he got, he just got to change the scenery at the time where he needed it. Obviously a major upgrade from the the last days of Roethlisberger to now Patrick Mahomes, who's still in his peak and you know, Andy Reid, of course, which is, which is a plus. My biggest backfield takeaway this whole summer has just been don't draft CEH, but I haven't had a proactive guy that I could pick and, I'm open to it being Pacheco. I, I agree that I can easily see the case for maybe Ronald Jones doesn't make the team. And the thing with McKinnon, he's been hurt so much. He's, he's at an age where NFL running backs are kind of hard to trust. So they're giving Pacheco a chance to to ascend very quickly. I mean, you know, I guess technically on the depth chart, he's probably as low as five or six not that long ago. I would not be surprised if he was the second running back to get a touch on opening day. I don't think he's going to start or anything, but he's certainly somebody who, once you're, you're starting to draft those lottery tickets, he's somebody you have to keep in mind. I'm not drafting CEH anywhere. I'm not drafting Ronald Jones, although, I, I don't know, maybe on a different team he could have some value. And I love, I love to see... Juju prioritized as, you know, just 
his usage. And again, a lot of times it's usage that we're looking at. It doesn't even matter the production, just who ran with who, how many snaps, what was the percentage. Um, and, and I know look, confirmation bias and all that. Let's confirm our priors. But I, I think we can draft proactively and confidently into Juju. I think he's going to have like a 82, you know, 10, 50 and eight type of season, a very useful wide receiver, two or three in fantasy. I'm with you on not drafting Josh Jacobs. I don't know if I agree with you on the CEH thing. I, and to, to, to be true, I drafted him in the seventh round in this draft. And like, in this, it's the seventh round. I, I, he ended up being my third running back. Actually, I think he might have been my second because I kind of went wide receiver and tight end heavy there. But, you know, if McKinnon's mostly not going to be involved in the rotation and is going to be, like I said, he played some special teams over the weekend. Um, and Pacheco's going to be the RB2. And if Jones is really off the roster completely, I mean, CEH, like, there is a little bit of comfort I think you can have in the fact that he had the gallbladder surgery. He came out with that. You know, that is like 3,000 items deep in the news cycle at this point. But I did think that was an interesting note from him. He lost all that weight going into last year. So you really just kind of have to squint at him and be like, look, if he takes a small step forward as a player and still has a great role on this offense and he doesn't get steamed up. And I think most people agree with you that CEH kind of stinks. He probably won't get steamed up. I think he becomes a value at some point. And like I said, the seventh round ish area, that's where I felt comfortable taking the plunge. Is that roster build pretty? I mean, obviously you, you put all the work into reception perception, so it, it would make sense to draft into what you're comfortable with. Is it pretty common for you to deprioritize running back? Are you just going with maybe a hero running back an anchor running back, or what's the most common Matt Harmon build so far? I do like the hero or anchor or whatever the hell you want to call it running back. Um, and in this situation, but it's, it's very draft specific, right? Cause like in this situation, I have the second overall pick in a full point PPR draft that you start three up to, you know, five wide receivers every single week. So in those specific formats, I do like to really nail the wide receiver position, but a lot of it is just what the board presents too. Like in that scenario, I was picking second overall, the person ahead of me took Justin Jefferson, which was, you know, really bold. And I took Jonathan Taylor. And then when I came back up at rounds two and three, all the good running backs are kind of gone. Like, and I didn't, I didn't want to go into that. I, my second tier of wide receivers was available with Mike Evans was still on the board, but my like second tier of running backs was basically all, you know, wrapped up by the time the back of the second round came to me. So I don't have a, like I, a plan going into every single draft like that, but a lot of times based on where you're going to end up being, um, you know, early on in the first round, late in the, in the set, in the first round, early second round, that stuff's going to kind of present itself to you. So for sure. Yeah. A lot of times your draft slot is destiny. I think that's one of the Salfino expressions. And I think a lot of people who start off with Taylor or McCaffrey, they're going to be coming back with, as you said, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, uh, stuff like that. You know, the, you're going to want to catch up at wide receiver and, and maybe even if, if you draft three of them in a row, you still may have a room that's as good as anybody's, even though you won't have Jefferson, you won't have Chase, you won't have Devontae Adams, you won't have Diggs. But man, I'll tell you what, Mike Evans to me is a perfectly acceptable wide receiver one. And in me that too. case of that type of build, you're going to come back and get a really good receiver too. You're, you're going to get, you know, maybe get T Higgins or somebody like that, who would be a dynamite fantasy wide receiver too. I could see easily see him being a top eight overall fantasy receiver. And we'll talk Bengals a little bit later in the show, but um, yes, yeah, so I like having that early pick. I, I'm curious what you're doing, like in the middle of, in the middle of a first round, if you don't get Jefferson cup or chase, if you're still, say, you're taking an Adams, taking a Diggs, or if you're, you're more willing to take a Dalvin Cook, a Derrick Henry, you, have you fallen to those spots that many times this summer? No, seemingly I've gotten a lot of early picks. And honestly, this was um, this was the third draft I've done recently where I had the second overall pick. 
and you've got to do the sort of like, oh boy, do I take Christian McCaffrey? Because I, you know, we've talked about the human element of that when you're taking Christian McCaffrey and just everything like that. Um, so I was glad that the drafter ahead of me took uh, <laughs> took uh, Jefferson Jefferson over Jonathan Taylor and just made the decision for me. But I haven't really found myself in the middle too much. But I think it is very player specific there. I'm totally comfortable going Dalvin Cook. I'm totally comfortable going um, Stephon Diggs. I don't love sort of I don't love the Devonte Adams group like that I think is a teardrop to me um and then we've talked about Derrick Henry and some of the concerns there as well so it does and here's the thing though Scott like why sometimes I end up going into this wide receiver heavy build and not even if I don't mean to um and some of it might be you're right like I spend a lot of time with wide receivers and it's like the position but you get into rounds four five and six you're gonna like the wide receiver picks there more than the running back yeah. picks for Every sure. single time. Every single time. Like, so in rounds four, five, six, I went, if I'm remembering correctly, I went Juju, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Elijah Moore. And that's how I ended up being so wide receiver heavy because that group right there. So, um, yeah, all that to say, like, I think if you do build those type of teams, there's a situation where um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to present, like, a somewhat comforting floor, at least to me. I could ask you one more receiver question. Would Would you ever consider... If it came down to Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson, could you take Justin Jefferson over Cooper Cup? Yes, I could do it, but I haven't. My rankings haven't reflected it yet. I still have Cup as number one. I just and look, Cup just had a monstrous year, and we know we we have to skate to where the puck is headed, as Gretzky would say, not to where it's been. I just get the idea that the, the Vikings finally have the right coaching in place, and Jefferson's yeah. he he destroyed the NFL before he really even knew what he was doing yet. You know, not, I'm not saying he was he wasn't you know, skilled and smart and everything, but now he really understands how the, the league works and he has a coaching staff that can take advantage of that. And at, at some point, and look, I'm an Adam Thielen fan and everything, but there's no reason why they can't teach Justin Jefferson how to catch a three yard touchdown pass. At some point, this guy, I feel like is going to have a Randy Moss type of season where he just destroys the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I totally, totally agree with you there. All right, let's move on to some of the things we did not like from the preseason before we do the Bengals here real quick and wrap up. Traylon Burks, man, we talked about it just a few podcasts ago, Scott. You know, um, we come off that, you know, sort of mercurial report about, um, you know, his practice, what his rotation was. Well, hey, there was no doubt about where he was in the rotation in the preseason game. The Titans starters didn't play. Traylon Burks did play, and he played late into that game, man. I mean, that... If you're still sitting there and doing like we like I talked to you about last week, Scott, the oh Jamar Chase dropped the ball in preseason, that's the same thing. It's not at all the same thing. If you're still doing that, man, and you're not at least like a little bit concerned about Burks to start the year at least, like I think he could have a good end of season, but we're a long way away from him just hitting out week one and, and just starting right right from the jump. I think he's undraftable right now because the story is going to take too long to develop. And this is an offense I really don't want to invest in anyway for a lot of yeah. different reasons. So I, I'm going to move Burks low enough that I'm not even going to be considering him. He's just, and again, you know, he could have a great career. Maybe it's a thing where he pops in the second half, you know, where he's not a rookie anymore, but right now he's not in their circle of trust. And that's, that's telling that's again, this is the type of stuff we're looking to the type of information we're trying to gather from these games and the way they utilized him told you that they don't think he's ready to be a starter right now either. And that tracks just like we talked about with George Pickens, like, Oh, that's, that's the guy that played it um, at, at Georgia. And now he's doing it in the NFL. Traylon Burks's story in college was he was going to need some time, man, because of the weird role he played um, just doing a lot of goofy gadget stuff. That doesn't translate to an offense that 
doesn't use players that way, honestly. Like, they mostly roll their guys out there, and certainly they can get players open on, like, play action and stuff like that, but we're a long, just like I said, a long way away, and it tracks a lot with what we knew about Traylon Burks coming into the NFL. So, um, again, I think he could be, like, a post-buy rookie guy that that really starts getting into it late in the year, but, you know, you're famous. All the folks who had Amon Ross St. Brown to end the year on that run, like they ain't the ones that drafted him, you know, because he was a guy That's that was the gonna, point. yeah, they were the ones that picked him up off the waiver wire and then, you know, got him from some person who was hating themselves for dropping him in September. That, that That's the thing, right? Is that you let somebody else in your league be the person who drafts Burks, holds Burks, gets frustrated by Burks and drops him. And then you can be open-minded when the story may have some steam or some development in the middle of the season. You make the, the St. Brown point is great. Everybody who benefited from that, none of those people drafted him last August. It was a matter of playing the market right and letting the story develop and having the fortuitous timing and then riding that glorious. And I'm glad I have some St. Brown this year because what a fun player. And, oh, yeah. You know, um, obviously USC has, has given us a lot of, of great receivers. And I eventually think Drake London is going to add his name to that list. But um, yeah, you, you don't want to be the guy who drafts Burks, but you do want to be the person who's open-minded if the narrative changes in the middle of the season. Yeah, and you'll start to see it, and just with just like with St. Brown, the routes run will be boosted. You know, the the snaps played will start boosting up, and that's when you know to go be early on Burks in that way, in that sense. Um, all right, let's talk about DeAndre Swift. Andy and I uh, mentioned him. He came up for me, and like guys, I'm a little nervous. I might be wrong about because I really like the profile of a player like DeAndre Swift, who has great pass catching upside. He started the game, scored a touchdown. That's awesome. Um, but he's kind of split the rep 60 40 with Jamal Williams uh, for the Lions. Now, I just don't know if I should care about this uh, because it, we should know that Jamal Williams is going to play the the role that he has. Like that should just be an assumption. I shouldn't really be surprised by it. But since I just talked about this with Andy and it was kind of like, hey, I just don't know if he's going to totally get the work that you want from uh, early second round fantasy pick, late first round fantasy pick for some people. Where are you at with DeAndre Swift? And did this preseason drive to change your mind at all? Well, I think you can't make the Lions not love Jamal Williams. You know, they they no, feel yeah. like this is a one-two punch. They feel this is a 60-40. I think they're always going to have a role for Williams. And I know they've added Justin Jackson. and There's some talk of maybe that cuts into Williams' time. But I've had a hard time getting behind Swift as ADP because I feel like it it bakes in a role for him that I'm not sure the Lions are ready to give him. I'd rather go the route of an Aaron Jones. And granted, he's going to share with A.J. Dillon. I, I get that. but um, Or I'd rather take a receiver who, who would go where Swift goes. You, know, you, you Maybe you're getting digs in that pocket. I think I like Adams a little bit more than you do. So those are guys I'm more willing to take when Swift goes. I, I see the case for Swift. I just don't know that... The Lions, and also, you know, the Lions, they were plucky last year. I get it. They still won three games. And, you know, they covered 11 games, which is great. I think they're a team on the upswing, but that could be 6-11, and 11, you know. Um, we still want running backs. Even got running backs who can catch the ball. We still want them to be on winning teams. We want them to be in scoring position regularly. I'm just, I like DeAndre Swift. I just feel like the market loves DeAndre Swift. There's somebody in every draft who's really excited to get him. The moment his slot comes up, they take Swift right away. And then a couple of people groan because they wanted Swift. And so a player that the, the market seems to love, I'm okay with. It's, I'm just not going to get a guy like that a lot. Yeah. I pretty much echo everything you just said. That's, that's, um, 
That's kind of what I'm concerned about, but I do love the profile of that player. Talk about like just confirming what you were nervous about. Uh, Mandy and I talked about Antonio Gibson as a guy on last episode, you know, that's going to be stuck in those empty calories carries like it just nothing around the goal line and nothing in the passing department, or at least not enough. Um, and then my God, like it, it probably couldn't have gone worse for Antonio Gibson than it did in the first preseason game. He started, um, but then quickly fumbled. Um, JD McKissick was in on the third downs. We knew that was going to be the case. And then once he fumbled, Brian Robinson comes in, scores a goal line touchdown, which again, that was a concern, right? Brian Robinson is going to get the damn goal line work. He gets the goal line work. And then Gibson actually played with the second team after fumbling. And then Brian Robinson didn't play any snaps with, with the, with the second team. It was all first team work for Brian Robinson. So I said this to Andy last week that if you, you don't even have to like Brian Robinson as a player to let him be a huge anchor and sink uh, Antonio Gibson's ADP. Like talk about a guy. I can never find a good reason to draft, but man, if Brian Robinson does play and play well, there's a lot of upside where he's going, which is very, very late in drafts. You, you know, this, this is where I'm actually going to defend Gibson a little bit because his ADP continues to slip. McKissick's 28 and Robinson played four years in college at a time where the talented running backs don't stay in college that long. I mean, he, he's an old rookie. He's 23. So I can, I'm hoping, again, you know, in the salary cap uh, draft we did this weekend, I think I got Gibson for like $11 or something like that, which he would have been a 20 something player two or three weeks ago, a month ago. And, okay, this is Washington offense. This, this is not going to remind anybody of the Joe Gibbs teams, Super Bowl teams, or anything like that. But maybe when the bullets are flying, maybe when the games actually count, they can just say, well, Gibson's our best player. You know, M maybe that just, guarantees him double-digit touches. And, and you make a, a great point. I mean, look, the worst place for a running back to touch the ball is between the 20s where you're never going to score a touchdown. <laughs> and, you, you know, and if somebody else is going to catch more passes than you, then you're not getting those cheap PPR points and all that stuff. I mean, I, I get the cases against Gibson. I get, I get the argument against him. But McKissick's kind of a journeyman. Robinson was in college for a long time. The dip has gone so far. I guess the phrase would be the hate's gone so far with Gibson. I actually find myself kind of you know, holding my nose and taking him because I can get him as a third running back now. Sure. And I'm actually perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I like Gibson as a player. At least I like the idea of Gibson as a player. And I hear you, man, that everybody has injury chaos upside, right? Like if, if McKissick was to ever go down or Robinson was to go down, those carries probably go or carries or targets probably go back to Antonio Gibson. So I hear you, man. It, it's not, I just can't, I'd never find a good place to draft him. I, I just never do. So he's, he's been a guy that is on my uh, kind of avoid list and I'll be drafting Brian Robinson uh, later on. That's kind of where I've been. Uh, you know, when he goes so far outside the top 40, top 45 backs, I think he's got um, you know some potential upside if this offense is good and it does play pretty fast there's at least that there's at least that just tell me that. and i know we probably mentioned this before but i gotta do it because he's one of my favorite players just tell me i can feel good about drafting terry mclaurin oh, buddy yes 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 we can i mean as good as you can feel about tethering yourself to a damn carson wentz pass catcher you can feel good about it god but he I mean, so, it's, so it's, it's like he's the new Allen robinson right i mean he's yeah. such a great player and yes. he's just gonna have to live with all these quarterbacks you know <sighs> God, you're, you're sorry. Pull, pull I don't, mean, I don't mean to make. I, I didn't want to make you cry or you know, you know get you some <laughs> dust in your eye there, Matt. But I know I did. I, <laughs> God, yeah, it's so horrible. Uh, but uh, somehow I'll have to move on and feel better by talking about the Bengals, which yes, AFC champion champion Bengals defending champions. Who they? Who they? Who they think they'll beat the Bengals? Who they? 
the Bengals are a fun team to talk about, and they get to have their great receivers paired with a great young quarterback until the Bengals mess it up and don't pay him or whatever. You know, nonsense will happen. I'm kidding. That I'm sure that won't happen, Bengals fans. But let's talk about the Bengals. A pretty straightforward team. We know where these guys are going. You know, Jamar Chase, a first-round pick. T. Higgins is a second, like, early, early third-round pick in most situations. Joe Mixon is mostly a first-round fantasy pick. And, of course, Tyler Boyd. You know, he has some standalone value, but is kind of like the king of, hey, if one of these other guys goes down in this passing room, like he's going to gobble up a bunch of targets. And the cool part about the Bengals is, Scott, they really don't throw to like a tight end. They really don't have like a fourth receiver. And, you know, which is it's not great news for Joe Mixon, but they don't even really throw to the running back a ton. Like they just throw the piss out of the ball to Chase, Higgins and Boyd. And that we love as a fantasy offense. For sure. Love the narrow usage tree, and this is what you get. You you get a franchise quarterback throwing to a generational talent in Chase, a, I think a Pro Bowl talent in Higgins, a really solid third option in Boyd. I mean, you can squint in certain specialty formats. You can tell yourself a story that maybe Hayden Hurst could be like a 550 or 600-yard tight end. Oh, okay, fine. They're not throwing the ball a lot to their running backs. And also, they're not... You know, they're not doing the Sean Payton. Let's find a way to make Taysom Hill relevant or let's find a way for the fullback to score four touchdowns. I do think we have to land on if P. Ryan or Evans is more interesting as the upside, you know, lottery ticket in the backfield. I'm still not really sure what to do with that. And I'm curious what you, what you your take is there. And also Burrow, what off the appendectomy, they've said all positive things. He's run enough reps with these guys. I'm not worried about Burrow. I mean, whatever. Maybe he has one or two slow games off the mark. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I could still draft Burrow. The only reason Burrow's yellow light for me is just because there's so many options at quarterback that I'm fine with, and Burrow's become pricey that I've kind of pivoted away from him. I'm one of many who's throwing elbows for Jamar Chase. I So he's, you know, green for me. Uh, Higgins is green for me. I can take Boyd if he's one of those guys that he'll just be available when the rest of your room is not interested in taking him because he's obviously the third option here. But because of the narrowness of the distribution, as you mentioned, he's perfectly reasonable as a depth play. Uh, it makes a lot of sense as a best ball player, but even as just like a wide receiver five or six, somebody who you're going to play during bye weeks or as injuries pop up. The hardest guy of all the name players to figure out is Mixon, right? Yep, I mean, 100% agree. I, I, there's a guy who, and, and you know, I, I guess, I, I guess I'm probably more closer to yellow, like yellow minus only because every time it's Mixon or somebody <laughs> else minus. in the second round, I seem to be taking the other guy. And it's not that I dislike Joe Mixon. I, I don't, and I know, look, the offensive line wasn't good last year. They've dumped a lot of money into that. So you would think that they, they've made good choices and everything. I, I think they should have at least an average offensive line, maybe even a plus offensive line. I'd be okay taking Mixon in the second round. It just feels like I never do. Yeah, and I think there are some sneaky kind of negatives in Joe Mixon's uh, projection right now. And, you know, the first thing you mentioned was the Samaje Pirine factor. Like, they – and this makes no sense if you – I know. You I know what mix, you're going to say. Yeah, but it makes no, no, it makes no sense that they won't play Joe Mixon on third down. It makes even less sense, Scott, that these two guys were college teammates and Mixon was like the electric pass catching back and Samaje Pirine – was like a freaking hammer. Uh, I remember Matt Waldman back in the day comparing him to like a, a cast iron skillet. You know, you just come in there and smack him around a little bit with old Samaje Pirine. <laughs> so it makes no sense that this is how the Bengals treat this situation, but it is how they treat this situation. And Zach Taylor even defended it because they kind of view third down as the place where they can get Joe Mixon a breather, even if he is a pass catcher. And he specifically said, 
Well, if we start throwing passes to Joe Mixon, you people will be out there. I'm paraphrasing, but you people will be out there uh, bitching about the fact that we're not throwing to Jamar Chase. He definitely didn't say that, but I'm really paraphrasing. Hey, we're not throwing to Jamar Chase. We're not throwing to T. Higgins. We're not throwing to Tyler Boyd. And um, so he basically sees it just as my offense is built around throwing to these three wide receivers. And that is a very like that's a pretty defensible thing, because why would you not want to throw to these three receivers? So I don't think you can project Mixon for more than a 10 percent target share, which is what he was at last year. He, that in that situation he's not going to clear 50 catches he's never cleared 50 catches and when you, the biggest problem then is okay well you're going to have to rely on him to be super efficient as a rusher and last year he is his clear high water mark from a touchdown rate perspective 4.5% touchdown rate on the ground he's been closer to like a 3% career average guy um so if we swing that back now it's playing the best offense he's ever played in that there's no doubt about that so that's good but i think if you're trying to break ties in favor of not drafting Mixon, there are plenty of ways to do it, kind of sneaky under the radar. Yeah, that's kind of that's a good way of putting it. That's what I've been doing is he's been he's been basically even with somebody. I've been taking the other guy. And never forget, and I'm not the first person to say this, and, and I, I wish I had somebody to quote directly, but it's been said multiple times on Twitter. When push came to shove in the Super Bowl and the Rams needed needed a play, they schemed a touch for Cooper Cup. And when push came to shove in the Super Bowl and the Bengals needed to play, they schemed a touch for Samaj P. Ryan. I will never understand that. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it today, Matt. I won't understand it five years from now. Get your best players the football. You know, one thing I'm, I'm actually kind of interested to see is they didn't, and, and this is just kind of a, this is a, a side dish. This is not a primary thing, but they didn't, get all that creative with Jamar Chase with like running the ball and stuff like that. They did more of that in the postseason. Yeah. yeah I see no reason why Jamar Chase can't have like 150 rushing yards a season. I mean, I'm not saying turn him into what Debo Samuel was, but why not just give teams another reason to wet their pants over how explosive Jamar Chase is? Even if you're throwing a lot of that ghost action, just gives them something to think about. And then every once in a while, spring it on him, give him the ball and he might rip off a 25 yard run. I, I feel like and maybe they were just saving it, you know, for the right moment. Like I always think it's stupid when a team is winning a game comfortably and they run a trick play. It's like, you know, that's a great play. Save it for when you need it, you know? And although some people say, well, now it's on tape and teams have to worry about it. A long way of saying, I think Jamar Chase might be ready to augment his great receiving skills. And, you know, look, he's going to be a top five, top six pick in every league. I do prefer Jefferson to him, but that's just because I love Jefferson so much. Nothing against Chase. I will draft into Chase proactively. I think this is the year he also gets like 165 rushing yards. I love it. And Jamar Chase is such a beautiful player because he wins deep, but he win like, but he wins after the catch. You know, he could totally do that stuff. And uh, just a, just such a good, just su such a good receiver. And I think, I mean, he's drafted fifth overall. It's not a hot take, like to say he's a great player, but I mean, he was almost like misunderstood coming into the NFL because that guy like gets open. He runs routes. He does it all. God, such a good player. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Totally green light on Jamar Chase. Although I have Stefan Diggs in that same tier of receivers. And I, I think the gap between those guys is not quite as big as, as some others do, but no, no shock. I'm in the bag for Steph Diggs this year. Um, and I love Higgins. Yeah, This team just feels very straightforward. I, I feel like they're kind of an easy one this year. They even have a great kicker if you're into kickers. McPherson, yeah. his range is the parking lot. Yeah, we love it. We love to see an easy team, and uh, we love to end the podcast on a positive note there, hyping up uh, the kicker. So well done, my friend Scott. Uh, I hope uh, hope everybody enjoys the Bengals. Like I said, it's an easy team to get behind. But that is going to do it for us this episode. You can follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, 
please make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. I'll be back tomorrow to we'll do more Steelers talk. We're going to preview the Steelers with Andy Barons. I'd love to see how high he's pushing George Pickens up in his rankings. Until then, we're out.